Welcome to this episode of Syracuse Speaks, The View from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast for Raw Charge. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman, and let's get started. All right, so it is time to jump into the month that was October. Now, obviously, right off the bat, this is a little awkward because October isn't over with yet. However, this week really worked out better for me, and next week is Halloween, so you all are going to be, especially if you have a family, or if you live in a busy neighborhood with a lot of kids, or if you're trying to avoid Halloween altogether so you're not at home, next week's going to be a little bit busy for everybody around this time of the week. So honestly, this day just kind of worked out better for me, and I felt for my listeners in general. So even though there's still two games left this month, we're going to go ahead and talk about what has happened so far. In the previous episode, I kind of discussed the fact that my formats for my first podcast of the month and my last podcast of the month were going to be a little bit different from each other so that things don't get too repetitive. Some things, though, we have to talk about. Things like roster transactions players who were sent up, players who were sent down, all of those kinds of things we do need to discuss. So right off the bat, basically the only thing that's affected Syracuse so far is that we released defenseman Luke Snuggard, who I was affectionately referring to as Snuggy from his PTO, and he immediately turned around and signed a PTO with Binghamton. So he is no longer on our roster, but he is now on... Binghamton's roster, and we most certainly wish him the best. The other piece of news that came out this past week is that goaltender Mike Condon is currently injured, and we're not really sure of any of the details. We don't really know what's going on. We, I don't believe it's related to the hip injuries and surgeries that he has had in the past. As of five days ago, the amount of time he was going to be out is undetermined. I don't believe that has changed. Just doesn't seem like we have a lot of information on what's happening. Luckily, Louis Domingue and Scott Wedgwood are still here, are still healthy, and are still sharing time. And I think it does make you wonder if Condon going down with an injury this early in the season if Tampa is reconsidering trading Doming, I don't really know what their thoughts at this point in time are. If they're still looking to trade him, it does make one wonder if maybe they would be looking to get an AHL netminder back in return instead of whoever they were planning on getting before. For right now, we still have Doming, we still have Wedgwood, and we still have Spencer Martin in the ECHL, along with Zach Vukal. So we do have options still, just in case something happens anywhere in the chain of supply and demand of goalies in the organization. But it does make you wonder just a little bit what might really go on with Domingue. Should Tampa get an offer that they deem good enough? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes down the line. Hopefully Condon will work out whatever's going on and he'll be ready to go around the same time if Doming does end up leaving. But we'll see. So those are really the only roster transactions and roster news things to be aware of. Usually now I would move on to what I got wrong from this past 
podcast. But really, I think the only thing that I pondered was whether Snuggie would end up with an AHL contract instead of a PTO so that we could keep him around as insurance just in case something happens. Right now, Syracuse is only carrying seven defensemen. I don't believe we have anybody in the wings. So that's a little odd, especially as for an organization that tends to remain stacked. I mean, look at how many forwards we currently have just hanging around. Our healthy scratch list on Saturday night was pretty extensive. We'll see what happens there, but obviously that is something that is no longer going to happen, at least not at this point in time, seeing as he is no longer in the organization. Congrats to him. I hope he does well again with Binghamton, and we will be seeing him soon as long as, you know, he's still with the Devils organization. I guess we'll have to see. Staying in the same kind of player news notes mode, up next I would like to talk about the player that I would like to kind of recognize for the month of October. Justin had his player of the week from the past week. He covered that in his Crunch Corner that got released this past Tuesday. And he felt that Chris Mueller was the best player of the past week for Syracuse. But if I bring it out to the whole month, I think that I am actually going to go with Corey Conacher. And I have a couple of reasons for that. Right now, Conacher leads the crunch in points. He is actually tied with Mueller. Each of them has five points on the season so far. It's funny because each of them has two goals and three assists on the season so far. Conacher has a plus one where Mueller has a negative seven as far as plus minus goes, which is probably why Conacher leads the team and not Mueller leading the team. Or they could have just done it by alphabetical order. Regardless, I'm actually nominating Conacher for a different reason. One of the things that a lot of us have been saying about Conacher, especially after last season, was that he is an incredible player, he's a great leader, but he needs to stay on the ice. And last season, Conacher got into a lot of penalty minute trouble. He was in the box a lot. Conacher is a super emotional player, and those emotions sometimes tended to get the best of him. And so he was in the box a ton last season. In the 70 games he played for Syracuse last season, he had 95 penalty minutes on the season. That's high. In four games in the playoffs last season, he had six penalty minutes. Again, he's a really emotional player, and he's a player that you love to have on your team. He's an inspiration to a lot of people. His movie, Miracle Baby, just premiered at the Syracuse International Film Festival two weekends ago, um, all about him managing his hockey career while also managing type 1 diabetes. Conacher is a super inspiration to a lot of people. But that emotion did tend to sometimes come with penalty minutes. And one of the things that both myself, Justin, and to be quite honest, a lot of other fans were looking for from Conacher this season was slightly smarter play. We don't want that emotion to go away, but we don't want it to impact the amount of time he is spending in the box. We don't want that amount to go up. And Conacher so far during the month of October in five games played had six penalty minutes, which rounds out to like 1.2 penalty minutes per game. And that's pretty good. He is still among the leaders on the team in penalty minutes. The only other person on the team who has 
the same amount of penalty minutes as Conacher is Nolan Ballou, but he achieved those six penalty minutes in four games played. Even though Conacher is still leading the team, he is not outstriping his teammates by that much. Danik Martell, who has played in five games for Syracuse as well, has five penalty minutes. There's a couple players after that that has four penalty minutes. So Conacher is playing well while also keeping those emotions fairly in line with the rest of the roster which I think when we look at the veterans on this team is going to be important this season. Right now, Syracuse still doesn't have a captain. Right now, a lot of the leaders who are acting as alternate captains on and off of different games are serving in that role as a group. And I think considering that, too, it's really important that these guys are leading by example. So I am pleased to see that Conacher is at least keeping in line with the majority of the roster when it comes to the penalty minutes. And to be fair, too, he gets a lot of time on ice. So obviously, the more time on ice you get, the higher your chances for penalty minutes are. Regardless, he certainly could have more at this point in time, and it has been as always, a boon to this team to have him on there. He is my player of the month for October. Coming up, we're going to take a look at some of the games this past month that we had said two weeks ago were going to be kind of noteworthy games and see how they worked out. Spoiler alert, not great, but it's still early. So that's coming up. Taking a look back at the past month, overall, the Crunch has a 2-2-1-0 record. In the American Hockey League, we count our records in terms of wins, losses, overtime losses, and shootout losses, which I know is a little bit different from how the NHL does their record count. So just as a heads up as to where those numbers are coming from. So the Crunch has won two games, they've lost two games, and they've and they've lost one game in overtime. Against the North Division, Syracuse is 2-0 and 1 and 0. They have won two games, both against Cleveland, and they have lost one game in overtime to the Rochester Americans. So in terms of the division, Syracuse is sixth with five total points. And in first place is the Toronto Marlies with 12 points. They are still perfect this season. And in second place is the Utica Comets, who Syracuse lost to last week by a rather lopsided score. And Utica currently is also still perfect in the league and in the division, and they have 10 points. So obviously the division is not exactly a runaway smash for anybody at this point in time. With a schedule that is always North Division heavy, Syracuse really needs to start picking up points against pretty much everybody, but they're really going to be eyeing those games that are coming up against divisional foes, and we do have two of them this weekend. We face Rochester on Saturday and Toronto on Sunday. In terms of games from the month that I had been eyeing as kind of important, The first one up was the Crunch's first game against the Utica Comets. 
Obviously, the fans always make that out to be a pretty big rivalry game. And Utica was victorious in this one. And not only were they victorious, it was a pretty convincing victory. Utica won that game 6-2 on Wednesday, October 16th. And I was not at that game in general. I don't travel to away games, but it was, by pretty much all accounts, a very miserable game to sit through. I am sympathetic to the fans that did travel, and I am sympathetic to the fans who watched that game on AHL TV. Justin, thank you, because I sat through a similar mess this past Saturday during Syracuse's opening night when they welcomed the reigning Calder Cup champion Charlotte Checkers to Syracuse and lost against them 7-3. to So one of the games that I had really hyped up two weeks ago was that game against Charlotte. I had said that it was going to be a yardstick game. I had pointed out the fact that Charlotte's roster has really only experienced about 50% level turnover. They had about half their team won the Calder Cup last season. They had some new guys come on, as championship rosters usually do have turnover. So they were still looking to be pretty good. This was going to be a good test for Syracuse in this yardstick game. And needless to say, the crunch fell short. I don't know what the difference was between the Syracuse team that a week before had played in Cleveland two nights in a row and beat the Monsters by a combined two-game total of 8-4. to four with one game being won by a 6-3 to three margin. I don't know what happened. It seemed like in the week between, something on the team shifted. I don't know if there was increased pressure because of the way that they won. I don't know if they thought they were better than they really were or that they were clicking better than they really were. There weren't any major roster shifts, so... It's still early in the season, and I think that that's something that we definitely have to emphasize. There's no major warning signs here. The only thing, perhaps, that we could pull out from this past weekend's blowout against Charlotte that was slightly concerning, and you could continue, you could count the Utica blowout in this as well, is that our defense does not seem to be as solid as I think think we figured it was going to be. And this is something that Justin also alluded to in his crunch corner this past week that he even said, he's like, the defense was something I was really stoked about for this upcoming season. That was one of the things that going into October, he figured, and and I agreed with him, that we wouldn't have to worry about. And I'm not so sure that we feel so secure in that anymore. It could very well be that once things get settled down and the pairings get into a groove with each other, it'll be just fine. As I cautioned during preseason, there's still tweaking that is going on. And this team has not played that much with each other. This is not like the NHL where the preseason and the training camp is like a month long and then you have the first couple of games of the regular season. You know, the AHL jumps into things much, much quicker. So it is still early. These guys are still adjusting to each other. They're still working to kind of figure out what their partners are doing, what their line mates are doing. Do those early games mean much? No. 
Justin did some research going back to last season, and the crunch, ironically enough, also got blown out twice during the month of October last season. And obviously Syracuse went on to win the North Division Championship last season. So these early months, honestly, maybe it's better if the team struggles and has to build and rethink and retool and really kind of figure things out. Maybe that works out better later on down the road. You figure out of all of the teams that we have had go far, as far as just looking at the Tampa affiliation. You know, obviously we had 2012-13 that made it all the way to the championship round. They were good all season. It was the lockout year. We had a stacked team right up until February when the NHL came back. You know, that team was good. But then when you shift ahead to 2016-17, which was the next time the Crunch made it to the championship round, That roster changed a lot as the season went on, and it changed a ton just going into the playoffs alone. With the Lightning being out of the playoffs that season, we got a lot of players back that we weren't necessarily counting on. So that team had to do a lot of retooling and rebuilding and shifting and figuring things out as the season went on. And honestly, I think they were better for it. And the same could be said about last year's team with winning that North Division championship. They were better for the amount of work that they had to put into everything they accomplished and achieved. Honestly, is it that big of a deal that Syracuse struggle is struggling a little bit out of the gate? I don't think so. I think that it'll work out. I think that these guys have the talent and I think that they have the work ethic. And, you know, it it's not for nothing to, to point out that we probably still have a couple of guys nursing some bruised egos. And I don't mind that. I don't blame them. I just hope they get over it soon before we have to make some major retooling and possibly look at doing some trades to try to shore things up. The Lightning has proven, especially in the past couple of years, that they will not hesitate. So, you know, also in all of this, our coaching staff is trying to find its feet with each other too, which could be part of why the team is kind of a hot mess right now. You know, we have a new assistant coach. We have a new goaltending coach. Our head coach is the same, but by all accounts, Ben has his way of doing things. And how quickly this coaching staff can mesh together might be reflected on the ice with how quickly this team comes together. So again, what I'm saying is that there's a lot of stuff to consider here that does not necessarily mean that we need to slam our hands on the panic button on October 23rd. I don't think that's necessary. I think the team will pull it together. I think the coaching staff will start clicking. There's just a lot of stuff that's different right now. before I sign off for the night. And I think tonight is going to be a little bit shorter. I have to be honest with you guys. I was on a field trip all day today. We took my fifth graders to the uh, fish hatchery in Bath, New York, which 
is, I believe, around Hammond's Port. I think that's where we were. It's down on Cuca Lake. So if you're familiar with the Finger Lakes area, uh, Cuca Lake is one of the smaller ones. It has the oldest vineyard in New York State on it, Constantine Franks Vineyard. Unfortunately, and rather obviously, that was not where we were visiting, but it's a neat area. It's super pretty this time of year. However, I also have to admit to being pretty beat. I have had to edit a lot out of this podcast just because I am so tired. It is very hard to string words together. So I do apologize that this is probably going to be on the short side. However, I did want to put recognition into the amount of work that went into the kind of fan side of things at the On Center this past off season. So in the past couple seasons in Syracuse, we know that there have been a lot of fancy, shiny new changes that have happened. And those fancy, shiny new changes have been paid for in different ways, up to and including a surcharge on both regular tickets sold and on season tickets sold. And those changes included the new scoreboard, better ribbon lighting, other things that have affected the in-game presentation that all fans enjoy. But they also went into things like Sweets and the All Who Served Club that is a pay-per-membership club that the Crunch runs for, I don't know who, to be honest with you, probably just Howard's buddies because I'm not really sure how many people can really afford to pay for that on top of season tickets and game tickets. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. Those kinds of things were a bone of contention among especially the season ticket holders because we are the people who show up. We are the people whose money and whose numbers are counted in every game, every sellout, regardless of whether we are there or not. So it looks better for the team if they have more season ticket holders because they can sell out games more because whether those people are actually in attendance or not, their numbers are counted. So it's frustrating sometimes when things like that happen, where the money you are spending is going towards things you cannot and will not be using. This past summer, the On Center made improvements to things that all fans get to use. They've brought in some outside vendors. Bull and Bear Roadhouse is doing a nacho stand in a pretty interesting spot. I didn't realize that one of the places for this nacho stand is actually behind the seats in sections like 123, 122, 121 in that area. So that's kind of a neat place because it alleviates some of the pressure that we were feeling in the hallway when the already built-in stands were super busy. And it smells really good. I sit in section 123. So when I went by to my seats, I was very impressed with how well it smelled. And they also next to that have an alcohol vendor too that will also alleviate some of the pressure in the hallways from the built-in vendors. That stand was actually pretty popular. They had nothing on tap. It was all canned stuff. But if that's all you're looking for, it's a pretty neat place to just be able to stop, get your drink, and then go sit down. So that was kind of nice, since that's that State Street side, and I'm that's probably mirrored on the other side. I just don't ever go over there because I never have a reason to. There is also a Pepino's stand upstairs on both sides 
that is also new. I did not get a chance to check that out yet because I didn't eat at the War Memorial on Saturday. I just kind of scoped things out a little bit. That is also appreciated because, I mean, on-center food is fine if you're just getting, like, chicken fingers or french fries. Actually, their chicken tenders, in my opinion, are even better than Tully's, but that's just my opinion. Um, However, their pizza these past couple of years has left a lot to be desired. I still remember the old days when Little Caesars, I believe, it might have been Domino's at one point in time too, was like trucking in pizza. And it always smelled so good. And it was clearly like fast food quality pizza because it was known companies that were bringing their pizza in. And I used to buy that quite a bit, but ever since I've stopped buying it because honestly, it's just not very good. So it was kind of exciting to see that we had a another kind of quality Italian place coming in. And granted, I'm, I'm not implying that Little Caesars and Domino's are Italian, so don't at me on that. I'm not saying that, but Peppino's is a known eatery. I think a lot of people eat their food. I don't live in the Syracuse area, but I'm sure it's popular. They've been a crunch sponsor for a long time now. So I like this partnership too. And I think that anything that gives some more quality food selections to all of the fans is great because a lot was made out of the spread that was at that was available for those who did the All Who Served Club. But again, that's not available to everybody. And I understand that the cost of that food is included in the cost of the club membership, and I get that. But again, that food was not available to everybody. So I think that this is a definite step in a good direction. I also like the concept of the Slapshot Tailgate Zone, which is downstairs in the basement. I wish <laughs> I wish that we had a better place to put it. Our basement does not, in my opinion, represent the best of the War Memorial, and I'm sure that I am not breaking any news by stating that. But I also understand that for what they wanted, there was only limited space available. It actually opens two hours prior to all of the games. Supposedly, you can enter the building through the two main entries, and then go downstairs. I don't know if you have to like talk to an usher or something to be able to get through. I don't know how that's going to work when the lobbies are super crowded on rivalry nights, like when three quarters of the city of Utica shows up and sits in our section and makes the night a living hell for us. I'm not sure how that works. I do intend to try it out for myself at some point in time, but it's not going to be anytime soon because reasons that don't need to be discussed here. But I would be interested to know if anybody gave this a try this past Saturday or if anybody is planning on giving it a try this weekend. You know, there's different food options. What I really liked about this was that every time a visiting team comes in, it's going to feature a signature dish from their city. And I really thought that that was an imaginative way to kind of market this new tailgate zone. I think that, especially given the food themes that a lot of the teams were doing as they introduced their schedule this past summer, that's a really neat connection. 
I love the idea of being able to get like a garbage plate at the War Memorial on days that Rochester comes into town. And I'm going to be really interested to see how their garbage plate compares to like Nick Tahoe's. I did live in Rochester for a year and I was lucky enough to have a good friend take me around to some of the bigger garbage plate hot spots in the city. So I'm not exactly an aficionado, but I have had some of the official garbage plates of the city. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how they compare. Obviously, garbage plates are kind of a hot button food topic over in Western New York. So it's certainly nothing I wish to fight a battle over, but it will be interesting to see. There's also different beer options. Supposedly, some of the cheapest beer in the arena is available down there. And another thing that's kind of noticeable is an ice cream sundae bar, which is something that is definitely different for the War Memorial. So this seems like a pretty neat place. It's kind of out in the open when you go down into the basement, so it is a little weird. They did fence it off with some white picket fencing, and they did put like a outdoor, indoor, green carpet thing down. So it is fenced off. It is very noticeable. It's easy to find, which is a positive. There are games and things that are there that I know a couple of the fans were using before the shootout show this past weekend. So there is things to do down there as well, since, you know, you can go there up to two hours before the game starts. So that is kind of neat. I really, really like the idea. I just do kind of wish that we had more of an official place for it. But as always, that's an old battle. The War Memorial is a historical building. It's a protected space. There's only so much we can do within its walls. It's an exciting idea, and I'm relieved that it's open to everybody. And I think that it'll, as long as they keep pushing it and advertising it, and as long as people have good experiences down there, I think that it should take off and that it could be a real positive for the team. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank Eddie for the royalty-free track, Pure Adrenaline, our intro music, and Springtide for their track, We Are Heading Into the East, our segment music. As always, thanks so much for listening, and feel free to send me any questions, comment, or feedback, either at my Twitter, at Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O, or over on Raw Charge. See you next time. (laughs) 